how many of you either are struggling or know someone that's caught this, uh, this cold that's going around? Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for making every effort to make worship a priority today. Uh, I got it right after service last Sunday. So whoever, whoever was around me last Sunday, the Lord took account. I asked for him to downgrade your position in heaven. Okay? You're, you're getting a downgrade. You're going to have to fly economy for a little while. Um, no, but what was interesting is the, the, some of the people I knew that were struggling with the cold, uh, it took about three, maybe four days, and they were thinking, I'm going to the doctors. Uh, how many of you are the people that don't really want to go to, you, rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're like, I don't really want to go to the doctor, just give me the medication. Just write me the prescription, phone it in, I'll go get it. You really just want the medicine, you don't want the, uh, you don't want the advice. You don't need the advice. You know you got a cold. They know you got a cold. Just write the prescription. And so uh, I was in denial for most of the week and just was wiped out by the end of the week. And so yesterday, working here again, I just was worn down. So I went and I, I, I took an antihistamine and I took two ibuprofen and drank some cranberry juice had some emergency, some echinacea, stood on one leg for a half hour. Yeah, I took all your advice. No, I had, I had two ibuprofen and an, and an antihistamine. And I came back to work, and my wife and Chris were like, wow, where did you get that energy? I was like, I feel great. Let's work all night. Right? And they're like, no, we're going home. We don't feel so great. But it's interesting how we look at this idea of when, when you're sick, you're just sick. There's no room for anything else. And yet, we have to, don't we? We have to. And so when you know that you have to, it motivates you deeply sometimes to really go find that elixir. That thing that will add balance into your life so not only can you function you may still have the cold. You may still have the flu. You still may be sick. Isn't this sound like a great Thanksgiving series? This is just great. So I just want to tell you that's not our title today. Our title today is very unique. We're going to scratch Thanksgiving and we're going to bring in something else. And uh, let's see if my fancy artwork is going to work here today. Yes. Thanks grieving. Thanks grieving. This is one of those titles that I'll hear eight years from now. You know, because have you ever heard of thanks grieving? And some of you, I can see by your faces, you were really excited about the Thanksgiving part. And now that I talked about thanks grieving, you've already moved on your head to the football game to uh, things that you got to do later today, I encourage you, this next 30, 40 minutes may be one of the most important times this entire year that you hear from Scripture. One of the most practical things that, that I believe the Spirit has prepared for this week. Sometimes we struggle as pastors or preachers or teachers that as we're moving through the Word that 
for everybody, for the masses that have gathered today, that it will be relevant for all who walk in the room. I can guarantee you this will be relevant for all who are in the room. So let's get to it, shall we? Thanks grieving. I encourage you, share this idea around the Thanksgiving table uh, this week. So we're in Thanksgiving week, and I'm going to encourage you to turn to John 16 while I give you a little bit of background here. Why this title? Well, two reasons. Number one, we're in the Thanksgiving week, right? How many of you are excited? How many of you have already been out there? I was at Trader Joe's Friday night, uh, not for food, but it was nuts out there. I'm thankful that I'm not out there in the grocery stores this week trying to navigate that insanity and chaos. Um, but blessings on you that, that are. But I love Thanksgiving week. It's my favorite holiday of the year. And the reason is, is because I believe that giving thanks is that elixir for our life spiritually. It truly speaks to our soul and helps us, especially in times of sorrow or grieving. Let me make that point. The other, the other reason is that many around us are grieving. Many of us are grieving. Many of us either know someone or ourselves are dealing with what we have categorized today as depression. This morning, a very good friend of mine had posted something, and I, I saw it about 6.30 this morning, talking about how to change your outlook for the day, and gave a list of things, you know, hug eight people today, pet a dog. You don't want to pet my dog. It's not going to help you if you pet my dog. But, uh, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, do something for someone, buy someone a gift, make a meal for someone, not just give someone a meal, but make a meal for someone. All practical things. And I thought, how interesting that this idea of dealing with depression, this idea of dealing with sorrow, this idea of dealing with grieving, Someone's caught on to the idea that in order to balance that so we don't end up in a pit of despair, non-functioning, that really much of what helps us in that process is active efforts to bless others. Now, does that mean that we should toss out grieving? Let me share off the notes right now. Grieving is a term that is synonymous with mourning in Scripture, in the Greek. If you are familiar with the Beatitudes, you're familiar that this is one of the Beatitudes where Jesus says, Blessed are those who what? Who mourn. For they will be what? They'll be comforted. Scripture also informs us that it's good to mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who grieve. Understand that Scripture acknowledges that very difficult part of life that wants to captivate us and hold us and make us non-functioning. So Scripture doesn't tell us that grieving or what we would maybe classify today as depression is wrong. Scripture says that's a reality of life. But Scripture also tells us how to navigate that. And rather than petting a dog 
or hugging eight people, all of those things are good. Hear me clearly. All of those things are good. But what we're going to hand you today feeds the soul. It feeds the soul. Much of what is handed out as advice, breathing techniques, um, disciplines uh, to keep ourselves motivated, those are all practical things that help us, but it, you have to keep doing it. and you have to keep, It never heals the grieve. It never heals the wound. Jesus is about healing the wound. When you think about the death of Lazarus and you think about Mary and Martha, and you think about all the grieving that, it, that was happening there. You think about Jesus Himself. who Scripture says in that, in that environment, in that story, in that discourse, that Jesus what? Jesus wept. Jesus Himself grieved. This is a reality of our lives. And this week, there will be many who will gather at tables and fake it. It will be very challenging and very hard for many individuals to sit there and pretend or have a sense of pretense that everything is great and so that true sense of thanksgiving seems removed. That it's something they can't hold on to, they can't experience, they can't joyfully accept. What you will hear today in a, in a very short message will show you there's another way according to the Lord because of thanks all right hopefully that's a good setup this morning let's get into the scripture let's start with john 16 and we have this uh interaction between jesus and his disciples jesus has let them know and this is just prior to the passion week he's spending a lot of time with his disciples and back in john 14 he's introduced the idea of the holy spirit now he expands on it because he's saying I will be gone from you, and you will have sorrow. I'm leaving. How many of you experience sorrow because someone has left you? He knew the disciples would have great sorrow. And so he sees it, and he starts some precursory counseling, if you will. And he shares with them hope. He shares with them that which they can be thankful for in the midst of sorrow. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus does not negate the sorrow. He does not pretend it doesn't exist. He acknowledges it. He embraces it. He doesn't even classify it as sin. How many of us have, have heard individuals say that depression is sin? And so therefore we don't talk about it or we ostracize those who are grieving and going through difficult, challenging times. Brothers and sisters, I would say anything that masters over you is sin. But just hear what Jesus says to the disciples. This is a fascinating passage. By the way, I don't have the whole thing here. Uh, it's 20 through 24. But up on the screen I have the highlighted section that I want us to look at this morning. So 22 through 24, I've given you a little bit of the background. And so starting in verse 22, he had just given an illustration of when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. How many of you ladies, no show of hands. How many of you ladies were really irritated at your husbands because they were so excited, but you wish for one moment they were going to feel the pain you were about to feel? 
and the sorrow. Isn't it interesting Jesus understands you in that moment? He even uses you as an illustration to help those dolt-head men get the understanding of this concept. There is a hard time coming. But what a beautiful illustration that we can all relate to. Yes, we'll go through the hard time. Now, some of us may drug ourselves senseless, but we'll go through the hard time because we know what's coming. And what does he say? It is a beautiful statement. He says, because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. What a beautiful statement. And what a synopsis of our lives. Our lives are mixed with grief and joy. But listen to what he says. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will what? Your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Not even you will take your joy from you. What is he talking about? He tells them, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What do we take from this? Jesus and the Father and the Spirit desire that your joy is full. Jesus recognizes that because of separation and relationship, there's going to be sorrow. But what Jesus is truly speaking to is that the Holy Spirit's going to come and help counsel them through that sorrow and restore their joy. And he even acknowledges that while you have sorrow, the world is going to rejoice. What is he talking about? Three days three days have you ever grieved over the sin of the world and how the world embraces evilness this is what jesus is talking about he is talking about the most hopeless dire situation you could imagine how different would our thanksgiving be on thursday if our country was under attack if we had been bombed. I have friends down in Santa Clarita that their Thanksgiving is going to be very different this year. Our nation is under attack. The church is under attack. Jesus says the world is going to rejoice, but he says, I will change it. I will restore your joy to you. Now when we talk about thanks grieving, we look at the illustration that, that Jesus gives, the teaching that he gives is he acknowledges there's grieving. He acknowledges that there's sorrow, but he says there will be joy. And ultimately, what is he saying? There will be a day where you will no longer have to ask anything in my name. When is that day? It's heaven. Has it ever been a conscious thought at the Thanksgiving table? What if heaven got revoked? What if heaven got revoked? So let's just start there. That no matter how difficult, no matter what is on our hearts, no matter what is weighing us down, if we know Jesus, we have heaven waiting for us. 
for eternity. Because heaven has not, nor will it ever be, revoked. Amen? Amen. We're waking up now. So this is our opening salvo to look and see from Jesus himself that he acknowledges that sorrow and grieving is a very real thing. Even with his disciples. But he says there is an answer to this. And now let's look at how do we connect that with the idea of thankfulness. Can I truly give thanks in all circumstances? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Great, great passage, but one that I get a lot of questions about in the history of, of being a pastor. And uh, you may be one of those that has questioned this passage and what, what surely Paul didn't mean is that in every circumstance, like when I'm grieving, when I'm sorrowful, that he expects me to be thankful. Well, I'm not sure that we can say that. He says this, rejoice always. When you're grieving, do you feel like rejoicing? So is Paul saying, don't grieve? He is not. He's using a literary form called hyperbole. In other words, what he's saying, this, this should be the goal. You should strive to rejoice. And if Jesus has said that Someone will try to steal your joy away, but they will be unable to. Jesus is putting an emphasis on the point of rejoicing in joy. How's your joy today? Because it definitely is connected to a heart of thanksgiving or the idea of dealing with sorrow and grieving. So when Paul says rejoice always, and he says it in Philippians, we're going to hit it in, in, in a little bit in Philippians 4. We can't be in the middle of an all-in series and me not reference Philippians on a one-off sermon, right? But he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. My brother Fernando had a, had a great conversation. I thought it was a great conversation yesterday. He was very encouraging. Uh, we're going to pray at the end of the service for, for Treya. Treya's in, in the hospital. How's she doing, brother? Well, there you go. Amen. Huge answer to prayer. So I, I, I was talking with him on the phone yesterday and trying to get the update. And he shared with me, you know, you challenged us as men last week to step up and ask for prayer, and that's what I'm doing. What a great thing. What a great thing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Think Treya's thankful she's coming home? If you need a little boost of what thankfulness looks like, have a conversation with this man right after service. It's a great illustration. So he says, pray without ceasing. And here it comes. Give thanks in all circumstances. I'm not going to give any illustration there because you're going to hear it in about 10 minutes. Just reference back to this verse, this part of this verse, when Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. And then it's not just these three things, but everything prior to this, when Paul's giving instruction, he's saying all these things are God's will for you. This is what God desires for you. Now he says there will be grieving. There will be sorrow. There's a great passage in Romans 8 that talks about why that exists. And that's not because God desired it. It is because of sin entering into the world and the world being broken. Jesus is going to restore that world. Amen? So, there is sorrow. There is grieving. It is a reality of life. But God gives us the opportunity to navigate that sorrow. 
and thankfulness is a part of it. As evidence, number one, by what Jesus was talking about with his disciples, but also based off of what Paul is saying here, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'm going to run you through some questions. Are you ready? Can you be thankful for blessings, yes or no? Yeah, you guys, this is fun. Okay, you guys get to actually talk here, okay? Wake up, wake up, let the coffee grab hold, all right? Um, can you be thankful for a great job? Okay, fantastic. Can you be thankful for the fulfillment of prayers or a wish? We're, we're starting to wane a little bit here. All right, but I, I'm thankful for the participation. It's good. Here we go. We're going to shift a little bit. Can you be thankful for bad health? Oh, trust me, it gets harder. Can you be thankful for stress and difficulty? Can you be thankful for tragedy and injustice? Can you be thankful for rejection, loneliness, and depression? Brothers and sisters, what's so great about Scripture and what's so great about Jesus Christ and the will of the Father is that he's a realist. And he gave a real answer to these problems. And for us to pretend and to be whitewashed sepulchers and not take the veracity and the beauty of the truth of the cross and resurrection and apply it in our lives to all circumstances means that the enemy wins. And we are victims. So, how can we grieve in a healthy way? How can we be thankful in the midst of grieving? Let me walk you through it. You ready? Why? Why be thankful in the midst of grieving? That's a great question, right? We had a great, great time with, um, I'll just keep it a secret. We had a great time Friday night with a wonderful couple and we were sharing just different stories about our daughter, and they were sharing stories about their son, and, and then they shared stories about how they met, and we shared stories about how we met, and it was just, now some of you are trying to figure this out. Some of you are looking at me like, I know, I know who it is, I know who it is. Just keep rolling through. What was fun is that in the stories, when a person said, I would like to date you or I would like to go out with you the response was why 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 do you that's a great answer that's a great answer so when we're going to talk about this today why be thankful in the midst of grieving have you ever been to the point where you just want to grieve you want to dive full head into that pit and you do not want to come out and you want everyone to see how miserable you are. You want the Lord to see how miserable you are. There are some very valid things about how we feel in those moments. But undoubtedly, unchecked, that is not good for anyone. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. So we're going to look at this. Why? It helps provide a healthy balance to grief, number one. It helps provide a healthy balance to grief. And so you already heard from John 16 and Jesus' thoughts, and he gives balance there. Turn to 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10, through 10, and it says this. Paul's talking about his ministry and the challenges of his ministry. And so when you look at this idea of balancing grief, 
Not eradicating it, not denying it, but finding a healthy balance so it doesn't overwhelm us. Paul says this about his own life. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. Are you seeing a literary style here? Comparison contrast? And that's kind of what we're doing today, right? Thankfulness and grieving, aren't those on the opposite ends of the spectrum? This is a beautiful passage to examine this idea of why be thankful in the midst of grief. It brings balance, and this is exactly what Paul is doing with his literary form. And he's saying through honor and dishonor, right? Through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters, yet we're true. As unknown and yet well-known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. And here it is. As sorrowful, yet always what? You say it. Rejoicing. Do you know what a powerful thing it is to be immersed, submerged. And the best visual I can give you is being in quicksand of sorrow. If you've ever tasted that, and then through the power of rejoicing or thankfulness, you've watched all of that subside and draw down, and you have tasted the victory, listen carefully, of embracing the grief and yet thriving. This is the power of Jesus Christ. Not denying grieving. Not denying sorrow. But be able to embrace it and thrive in the midst of it. This is what Paul's talking about. It's the idea of balance. Not being so absorbed with one or the other. One of the principles in scripture that we hear over and over is that we are to bear one another's burdens have you ever heard that do you know that have you ever reached the point where you just said i'm bearing too many people's burdens if you haven't join ministry you'll be there in about a month okay there are those times where you say i can't bear any more burdens mine or somebody else's then pursue thankfulness so you get some balance that's how you know you're out of balance. When you want to isolate, when you want to recluse, when your attitude towards the Lord is changing, when your joy is not evident anymore, when you cannot utter thankfulness, you're out of balance. And so make the strivings as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as nothing yet possessing everything what a powerful statement and paul knows this and really this is a testimony of his right it's not a discourse of teaching of how to do it it's a testimony saying we lived this how does he live it through the power of jesus christ through the power of jesus christ so number one it helps provide being thankful in the midst of grieving helps provide a healthy balance to grief number two it helps to keep from being overcome with grief. And 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10 is where we're going to go, but I'm going to give a short reference to 2 Corinthians 2, and you know, the, you know the story a little bit where the individual was struggling. 
with sin. The church was struggling with sin. And it was a horrible mark on who they were. It was an embarrassment to who Jesus is to say, we embrace Christ and yet we continue to act and accept these things over here. And Paul says, you have this particular person who's caught in gross sin and you're applauding it. You're endorsing it. You need to deal with that, 1 Corinthians. And so they obey, they deal with it, and now, oddly enough, because we're human and we struggle with understanding everything, right? So, for all you who have ever been burnt by a church, it's in Scripture. This is one of the first illustrations of it. The church can try to do the right thing, but even in trying to do the right thing, they take it too far. So Paul has to write another letter and say, okay, this guy I told you about, you need to lighten up, man. Because he's at the point of sorrow, and sorrow that leads to what? Death. You need to embrace him, continue to restore him. Yes, you've got to deal with sin issues, but you also have to be loving and you have to come alongside. And it helps you keep from being what? Overcome with grief. And so Paul is saying, lovingly restore this individual. It's not okay for someone, especially within the church, to be so overcome with grief and we ignore it. So why be thankful in the midst of grieving? What the church should have done is been thankful for this person's repentance and instantly embraced and loved on this individual now we don't know the particulars all we know is what paul wrote but the idea of being overcome with grief many of us feel like we deserve the grief we've done something wrong we'll get to that in a little bit with david who did do something wrong and you will see the heart of the man who loved god deeply how he dealt with his sin and the consequences of his sin and what he did with the grief therein. But be clear, my friends, Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, has no intention of you being overcome with grief. Do not sit in the miry clay, the quicksand, and stay there. And that leads me to the next point. Oh, actually, let's, let's read the passage that I wanted us to look at. Again, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and often I hand this out. If you ever are going through a hard time and you see Pastor Jeremy send you a thing that says just 2 Corinthians 1, this is why. This is why. He says he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. <coughs> On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give what? Give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Remember, Paul talks back in Thessalonians that we have to pray without ceasing. Give thanks always in all circumstances. These are connected ideas that help us in our grief so that we are not overcome and held captive by sorrow and grief. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the third point this morning. Why? Why be thankful in the midst of grieving? It helps us seek Him rather than the pit of sorrow. And Psalm 40 is one of my favorite psalms, and it really speaks to this. And this is kind of the biblical version of my quicksand of despair. Let's look at it. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. <clears throat> Many of us, when we start to experience grief, 
We say, all right, I'll give a day to this. I'll give an hour to it. I'll give five minutes to grief. Right? Some of us go kicking and screaming to deal with our emotions. And women, how many of you, your husbands have sat down with you and just said, you just really need to speak your emotions. You need to get it out. You just, you never talk. You just hold it in all the time. I just don't understand you women. Why do you always act that way? You know, you as the women gender, the female gender, you need to go ahead and, and be more open with your emotions and, and share exactly how you're feeling. And, and then, you know, you, you share two minutes with us. And it's usually about football or, or NASCAR. And I don't understand you women. You get the point, right? Shots fired. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Sometimes you've got to wait. Sometimes in order to really get out of that quicksand, it's not going to come immediately because sometimes there's a benefit to the grieving. Sometimes there's a benefit to the suffering. You're going to hear that in a minute. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Have you ever been there? When I'm in sorrow, when I'm grieving, this is exactly what I picture. The miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. When you are depressed and you are grieving, you have no path. You don't even want a path. But the Lord says it's not good to stay in that miry bog. I will make a way and take steps on those things that are solid and that heart of thankfulness is one of the ways that you step out of the bog. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. Now you may say, well, well that, can't, <clears throat> that can't be healthy. Fearing, fearing in the sense of respect. When Paul says, there will be those who will see and they will be thankful. What they're saying is, think about the individual that you've seen transformed come out of deep grief or deep sorrow because of their joy being restored through Jesus Christ. And it has inspired you. You will experience that in a moment. This is what the psalmist is writing about. It's not fear in the sense of cowering before God. It's, it's the, wow, the God of the universe really does care about my circumstances and my sorrows. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to seek this. I'm going to choose that way, that route, as opposed to my own slodging around in the mire. Many will see and fear and put their trust in who? In the Lord. The last point today, it helps us navigate sorrow. Wow. How many of you read the manual on how to navigate sorrow? Because there are hundreds of thousands of them that have been written. And they're probably going to write another 100,000 this next year. And yet we just keep becoming a more sorrowful and grieving nation. I'm going to hand you something that works. And without giving you details from my life, because I do that almost every week, you guys could write a book about my life at this point. You're going to hear again, have you noticed I keep prefacing what you're about to hear? The principles I'm giving you from Scripture, you're going to hear an undeniable demonstration that this works. How do you navigate sorrow? 
First, let me give you an illustration out of Scripture. It's David. I will share real briefly from my life. My wife and I have experienced two miscarriages. And if you've ever gone through that, it leaves you with a lot of questions. As a pastor, as a pastor, I get asked this question often. When individuals in our congregation or people we know in the community go through this, where's my child? I have one passage I turn to. And it really wasn't written to answer that question, but it is the only area where I can give some semblance of, of understanding of what this looks like for the believer. Let me back it up. The prophet Nathan turned to 2 Samuel, if you will. <clears throat> 2 Samuel 12. The prophet Nathan comes to David after David has committed horrible sin. By the way, it is interesting outside of what we're going to read in the following verses, Bathsheba is referred to as Uriah's wife. Even after the death of this child, God refers to her in her proper sense as Uriah's wife. If you're not familiar with the story, David is not where he's supposed to be. He sees Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, bathing on a rooftop, and lust overtakes him. And as the king rather than attending to the things that he should be and being focused on the Lord and the Lord's will for his life, he took a time off. And folks, it's not that taking time off is, is bad. The Lord tells us to rest. But when you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be in the middle of a campaign the Lord has for you, that's where things are going to go south. And that was David's first mistake. He abdicated his responsibilities, and that led to one thing, the next thing, the next thing to the point where he inadvertently, no, he demonstrably murders Uriah and even tries to do it deceitfully so he could get away with it. The, the levels of sin that happened in David's life over this period of time are incredibly complicated. But it certainly speaks to how nefarious sin is. So Uriah's dead, so in in David's mind, he's clear because he had committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. So he thinks he's gotten away with all of this and the man of God, Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and gives him a little illustration. And Shakespeare has this great quote called, hanging yourself on your own petard. A petard was that bomb you always see in the cartoons, right? That black ball with the little fuse coming out of it, right? Like a pirate's bomb coming out of a cannon and when they used to make them often they would blow up on the bomb maker and that's what Shakespeare's referring to is you intended it to do this but it actually blew up on yourself it's a great quote I give you permission to use it because I didn't write it David hangs himself on his own petard because Nathan gives him an illustration and David rules as the king surely this individual should die and Nathan says to him in no short terms, that man is you. The horror, the blood must have rushed out of David's face, knowing that the sin he was trying to cover. So you think about the sorrow and the grief that he was carrying hidden was now exposed and where that's going. There was a consequence that was deeper than just that grief. 
the Lord decided, why we don't know, but the Lord decided in his wisdom that the life of that child should not continue on earth, but be taken up to him in heaven. Now, in certain ways, people would look at that story and say, how cruel is God that he would not let this child live? And yet, in other ways, maybe it was God's mercy because can you imagine being that child and growing up? Now, that's in God's infinite wisdom. It's not for us to decide. But the Lord lets David know, and this is where we pick up the story, He lets David know that the child's not going to live. And so David is grieving. David is mourning. David is fasting. David is weeping. David is prostrate on the ground in his chambers. His staff, his house staff, or his servants are massively concerned. And that's where we pick up the story, verse 18 through 20. And what happens is that the child has died and they have to come tell him. And it says, I'll back it up to verse 17. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Does it sound like he's depressed? Does it sound like immense sorrow has overtaken him? And it says this, on the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. This is depression, folks. Have we ever been in a position to counsel someone who's depressed, and you're worried that if you, if you say what you think they need to hear, they may actually, in fact, take their own life. Welcome to a window of Scripture. This is the problem. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. <laughs> Has David lost his mind? How many of us are told or we tell individuals, you can't just stop in your pit of sorrow. It just doesn't work that way. Can I tell you that for a miserable nine months, when I was 21, 22, I would walk the streets of Santa Clarita all night long. I wouldn't sleep. I would rarely, rarely go to work. My friends were concerned for me. I didn't know what to I, I almost quit ministry. I did, I did all those things. Do you know that all of that, as bad as it got, changed in an instant? And it has everything to do with where we started today. Where God whispered to me in a moment, in a sorrowful moment, He whispered to me what He said to His disciples in John 16. Your joy will be restored. And I give thanks today for that moment. And in that pivotal moment, for me, for me, in that pivotal moment, it was over. And nobody, including myself, has ever stolen my joy from me. Now, I have moments, folks, where I don't look that joyful. Let me just be clear. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sustained joy that comes from the soul because of knowing that my Lord is in control and I can turn things over to Him. I can turn my sorrows over to Him. And that is what David did. He said, what is it worth? There is nothing that comes from me continuing in my process of grieving. Now for many of us, maybe there is something that needs to happen in that grieving process. So please hear me clearly. That doesn't mean for everybody you're supposed to find a pivot point and just stop grieving immediately. Amen? Let's just be clear. But for those of you who say that it cannot happen, it happened here for David under the worst circumstances you could possibly imagine, and it happened for your pastor, and it's happened for many of you. And this is what I alluded to earlier on when I said there are those moments where because of thankfulness, because of joy, we no longer have to be grieving or sorrowful when it is no longer healthy for us to be there. And so what happened? What did David say? And when they asked, they set the food before him and he ate. Then the servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. We don't get it. And so he tells them. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. There was a process, David said, in, in his sorrow and in his weeping. He was trying to attain something. He was trying to, uh, to atone for something. But when God's will was completed and done, there was no more that could be done. Therefore, David assimilated, understood that time of sorrow was now a waste of time. And does that mean David stopped grieving? No. It just means he didn't grieve in the same way. Do you hear me on that? And so he says this, because this was his resolve, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And here is the encouragement. Here is the transition piece. Here is how thankfulness changed David's heart. In these simple words, I shall go to him. David understood his God. David understood heaven. David believed in all of that. And in spite of horrific choices he made that had consequences for himself, his family, and his child, he knew what God's plan was and that one day he would be with his child again. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. For those who are grieving without Christ, there is no answer on that level. There is no answer on that level. You just continue in your miry pit. This morning I'm going to give you three things to ponder in closing, and then you're going to hear what I've been alluding to so much. Thanksgiving is the elixir for sorrow. I told you it was, and so how does that work? Well, it doesn't minimize sorrow, it marginalizes it. Now, we use marginalize that term often as a pejorative. It doesn't have to be. It just simply means that, you know, when you minimize it, you don't see it anymore, right? You guys know how you minimize in Windows, you just, I don't see it. It's kind of there, but it's, you know, it's, that's what we do with depression. That's what we do with grief and sorrow. It's there underneath, but we're not going to talk about it. Marginalizing something is not, not, it, 
it's not failing to acknowledge that it exists. It's saying it lives here. It's real, and it lives here. And we're going to deal with it. It has purpose. It has reason. But it's not allowed to go past here. Because I've got other things in these areas that Jesus has for me. So number one, it doesn't minimize sorrow. It marginalizes it. Number two, it doesn't mitigate sorrow. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't eradicate it. It doesn't get rid of sorrow. Can you say that word? That next word? Maturiates? Manchurianates? Maturates. Maturation. The idea of it makes the sorrow mature. Have you ever thought through that? This is when you hear and you are about to hear how sorrow gives you a deeper understanding of things. How Paul, we looked at that verse and he gave the comparison and contrast and he says, I wouldn't trade it. I'm okay, even though there are times where I'm grieving and I'm sorrowful, I would rather have gone through that, especially for you to be able to learn and to see and to give thanks. That's maturation. Sorrow has a purpose in our life. It doesn't misunderstand, or yeah, Thanksgiving doesn't misunderstand sorrow. It masters it. It masters it. And that's the difference, my friends. That's why I want to give you the encouragement today as to how does thanksgiving work in context to sorrow, it works very easily in the sense that it masters. It puts sorrow underneath the control of joy and thanksgiving. It masters it. Now that is vastly different than what society tells us about depression. Society will tell you that depression masters you and you just need to medicate through it. That's not a great answer. And in my personal dealings with the professionals out there, and I've said, that's not a good answer. What was told to me word for word, verbatim. Now understand, it's just one one doctor. It's just a band-aid. It's the best we've got. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has got a lot more than a band-aid. Let me welcome up Ana Villalobos. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share with you a little bit of me and my life. My name is Anna, and today more than ever, I proclaim that my life belongs to Jesus. Some of you know that on July 5th, I was brutally assaulted in Brentwood, Home Depot parking lot. This horrible incident left me with three broken teeth, a dislocated jaw, dislocated shoulder, and cervical and arm damage. I think the doctor that evaluated me wrote about 13 different diagnoses during my visit. But uh, the emotional and mental damage has still been the most challenging part of all. 
I do remember how I was begging this person to stop and to please don't take away my purse, my money, and my phone. And instead of stopping, he started hitting me right on the face. But to be honest, <coughs> this little lady was not ready to give up that easily. Has gone through so much, and even with a broken face and damaged arm, I was able to block him in his car a few times and finally write his license plate in my hand. And, and this is when I realized three things. Number one, I'm sorry, but I realize I'm an excellent driver. I chase him. <laughs> Number two, my friend said he messed up with the wrong Mexican. That's good, too. And number three, that is not too bad. I was so hurt to, uh, thinking that enough was enough that I did not think about possible consequences during the time I was chasing him, like getting killed or even hurting other innocent people. Thanks God, none of these things happened. The thing that I did not own, not, the thing that I didn't know either is that because I was already late to pick up my daughter and her friend, my dear Grace, of course, she was calling me as a normal teen. And this criminal had the courage to answer the phone and tell her and her friend to meet him outside of the store to give them my phone back that I have lost. The phone that he happened to find outside of Home Depot. Then Scott, she was smart enough to call my parents and ask them for guidance in what to do. And finally, after facial recognition, license plate number, countless other information, in a long search for this individual, he was captured and put in jail, unfortunately, unfortunately only for a little while. No need to say that the damage was already done and that for at least two days after this attack, I was not able to sleep. Every time that I closed my eyes, the face of my attacker show up again, still now making me cry, or even yell to him when he was not present. Also some panic attack and anxiety became part of my normal life. And of course, I start asking why. Why is this happening to me? What is this happening to us? I believe I have served you. And I'm not a bad person. I love you, God. Why? Why life might be so, life might be so hard? Why is there always something going on? Why does life keep breaking me into pieces? And suddenly, in the middle of all my sorrow, I was able to hear that little voice saying, because Anna, I want to complete. To be honest, I keep asking for details to him about this matter, but I have not yet complete answer. Keep praying for discernment. But I know that my complete life belongs to him, and that I will do and accept is always his will. I also received another response to my prayers. Ask for help 
he said. You're not alone. And I did. I contacted Pastor Jeremy and explained what happened to me. And I asked him for prayers because I was turning crazy without sleep. And yes, that night after praying with him and other people, I was finally able to sleep for a few hours. Pastor Jeremy also asked me for permission to visit me the, ne the next day after service, and he did in companion of his amazing wife, Miss Denise. They also hand out two envelopes with money that was donated by members of this church after hearing what happened to us. A nice, also, new phone in a box was there for me. Thank you, Cindy and I. Um, but again, you know, on the other side, enough is not enough. The blessing did not stop there. Miss Janine also got me an appointment with an amazing chiropractor that helped me so much. And this amazing chiropractor refused to accept any kind of payment from me because our deacons group has already been taking care of that. It is hard to describe to you how I feel about all this. Was going to, I was going through so much physical and emotional pain. I was also receiving so many blessings and demonstrations of love. And this amazing church and family was giving to us until it hurt, as it was said last weekend. But let me get to the best part of my story. Some of you know that my daughter, Libby, walked away from God four years ago after my son Raul was killed by a distracted driver. I remember her saying to me that she decided not to believe in God anymore, that a real God and loving one will not allow us to go through so much pain and suffering. Neither will let Raul, my son, be unprotected on the day that he, was, uh, that he died in a fire, uh, fatal accident. That day, my heart was broken into pieces. I said, my child is walking away from me. But of course, I understood that she was dealing with a lot of pain, and losing her dear brother was just too much for her to handle in that moment. After that, and for the past four years, I have, have not stopped praying for her, and even asked some of you to please do the same. I knew deep inside, that she was in so much in of God and his amazing love. Well, maybe you're trying to figure out how Lily's story is connected to the assault story. Let me get you the answer. After the assault, Lily came to me and said, Mom, yes, I think it's time for me to go back to Jesus, to reconcile over him. And go back to church. I don't think I need to look for a good church because we have already one Concord Bible Church. After the incident, she said, I was able to see a real church and a real family. They have been so good, not only giving you some financial help, but showing you how much they love you. They are not a church mom. We have a family. After hearing that my, this, I'm sorry, after hearing this, my heart was so full of joy. 
Now I was getting it. And maybe and many of my why questions start receiving answers. Oh, my dear Lord, you are so good. Your plans are so perfect. Jeremy 20, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. Finally, last Sunday, Pastor Jeremy talked about give until it hurts. Dear Concord Bible Church, with, with your acts of kindness and demonstrations of love, you have done the what, not only the talk. You gave us so much more than we ever imagined. And let me tell you that no physical pain, no mental pain either, can take away the joy of knowing that my beloved lady is back to Jesus. Let's be honest and say yes. Life can be brutal. In attacks and circumstances will bring us so much pain. We'll take you into our knees. But always remember that you, that me, we are not alone. We will always have number one, Jesus, in our side to support us and to fight the real fight. I don't know, do not know what the future will bring to us, to me. But what I know is that my life belongs to God. And I am ready and willing to give until it hurts. My sincere gratitude to you, my Lord and Savior, for everything you have given and provided. But also, I want to thank you for what you have taken away from my life. Saul, my dear son, I will love you forever. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. No, that's okay. I don't know how you read that because I'm crying. I couldn't read anything through these tears. I think I memorized it. <laughs> you did memorize it. Well, it is your life. I told you I probably shouldn't have preached a word because what Anna just shared with you, some of us have been aware of. Um, I feel compelled to do this. Anna, we have one... We have one light left. And I think we don't put a lot of, of we don't put a lot of effort into distinguishing how the light of Christ comes into someone's life as far as defining that. I think we need to celebrate what God's done in order to bring the light back to Libby. Would it be okay if we lit that last light for her? I asked for permission. She said yes. Let me pray. Father, you know, and you weep. You weep over the way sin and death steal life and steal joy from us. And yet today, we've heard from Scripture and we've heard from one of our own. And there are so many others sitting here today that could share what it means to thanks grieve. 
Help us to take this inspiration that it would affect us and draw us closer to You. That we might reflect and we might share this week with others around us that need to hear this inspiration and this elixir towards sorrow. Thank You for the courage and the compelling nature of what You've placed into Anna's heart to share such a difficult thing. But Lord, I thank You that as she waited patiently, she did not turn her back on You. And there were plenty of times where that was probably in her mind. She did not turn her back and You gave. You gave clarity as to how to bring joy from the ashes. Thank You, Father. To You be all glory. Continue to work in this woman's heart and Livy and Clayton and Gracie. We pray all these things in accordance to the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.